Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to jump into Revelation 2, 1-11 today. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week two, day one of our study of Revelation. Would you join me as we pray before we start? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God? Fill our hearts with the knowledge of you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's Word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Revelation 2, starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. Well, actually, let's pause right there. I want to show the, the map one more time here. So on the screen, for those of you watching, if you're listening to this, you can find this at timweekbible.com slash revelation. <clears throat> you can see uh, in the inset map of what is Western Turkey nowadays, you can see where Ephesus is. It's the most southwesterly of, of the seven churches. It is near, Ephesus and Smyrna are, are very near the modern city, uh, Turkish city of Izmir. Smyrna is actually in it. <clears throat> but uh, again, the geography here, all of these seven churches are churches that John was at least somewhat familiar with, but they're actually seven churches that the Lord is choosing specifically. There are other cities that have churches in them in this geographic location. So it's not that John... Some scholars will say, well, John was just choosing these because he wanted to use them as an object lesson against Rome, that kind of thing. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is Jesus himself is choosing these churches to give a message to. There were other churches that John was familiar with that he could have done this with, but he chose these seven specifically because of the issues that are going on here in these uh, next two chapters that we're going to be reading this week on the podcast. <clears throat> These churches and the messages to them, they are originally to those churches. They really are. But they're also messages for us today. We need to understand that these things, although they had to do with these churches, they're timeless information for every one of us reading. And they're going to be really important for us to understand. There's little nuggets in each one of these for us to understand for for the rest of eternity, really. There's something in each one of these for us to to take away and and learn something from. Each one of the messages that Jesus is going to give is going to follow a very standard pattern. So these next two chapters, the seven churches, Jesus is going to, you know, introduce himself as as himself in a different way, essentially, to each one of these churches. Then he's going to give his message, and then he's always going to end each one with, you know, let those that have ears to hear. If you're willing to hear what I'm saying, here's what I'm going to do for you. If you overcome the the difficulties of generally this life, but more specifically, your context, each church, and the context of the end times. So there's a lot going on in what Jesus is saying to each one of these churches. So with that, let's go ahead and jump back into uh, verse 2. I know your deeds. Um, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. Actually, let's pause that. So these are all the positive things here. And again, 
the way Jesus is going to do this is he's going to say some positive things and some negative things to each church with a few exceptions. We'll see as we get into this. There's a couple churches he only says positive things to, a couple churches he only says negative things to. But he starts out here with Ephesus, right? He's introducing himself as the one who holds the seven stars and, and walks amongst the lampstands. Like he's the one in charge of all of this. So he's like, I know that you've worked hard. I know that you've persevered through persecution. And I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. Um, this is actually a big deal because throughout the New Testament, most of what Paul spends his time doing, writing in the New Testament, is dealing with heresies and wicked people and just all sorts of, of problems. And Jesus is saying, hey, you can't tolerate wicked people, right? You've tested those who've claimed to be apostles and you know that they're not. Um, you know, you've done a lot of good things for my name and you've not grown weary of doing that. Right, so so good job, Church of Ephesus. Verse four. <clears throat> Yet I hold this against you: you have forsaken the love you had at first, or your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. And and we need to understand that Jesus is the first love. Jesus is the one that he's talking. He's talking about himself. You loved me. I was your first love, but you've you've lost that. You've forsaken me. Verse five. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So Jesus is saying, and, and this is a really big deal, I think, for us to understand, as he's saying, um, <clears throat> I'm the one who is in charge of the lamps and the lampstands. And we understand from chapter 1, the the lamps and the lampstands, um, they are, you know, the stars of the messengers, either the angels or the pastors. The lampstands are the churches themselves, the exist the very existence of the church. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's not going to be some kind of outside group. It's not going to be some demonic mission to try and destroy your church. He's saying, you put me first or else I will eliminate you. I will not have a church in this context, he's saying, that doesn't have me as their first and primary source, their first love. If you're going to define yourself with anything other than me, if I'm not going to be your primary affection, I will remove you myself. I will end this church. So often when we see conflict and things coming from outside in a church context, um, we think to ourselves, you know, well, that's that's the work of Satan. God, you know, God is glorified through the church and, you know, it's only going to be Satan that's going to come and try and destroy the church. And here we actually see Jesus himself is saying, no, 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 I will be the one to destroy your church. I will remove it. He is not intimidated by how he looks from the outside, right? God is not like, oh man, but if I if I get rid of the church of Ephesus, what's that gonna do to my name? How is that how is that gonna look in all of the Gentile and, and pagans' minds if I get rid of that church? He does not care about that. That is not one of his concerns. He's like, listen, I will not allow you to continue as my church unless I am your primary affection, unless I'm your first love. 
He is going to be the one that's going to remove them. The Lord has no concerns. Like so many times we, we concern ourselves, you know, there's church scandals all the time. And right at the center of those scandals is often the question, how will the Lord's name be affected? if this gets out or if people think this about our church or this ministry or whatever, Jesus doesn't give a flying flip about any of that. That's something that we convince ourselves. uh, We we use to justify doing the wrong things. We use that to justify doing the wrong things. Jesus doesn't care. He's your primary affection or you have a meeting with this kind of destiny where he's like, I will take away your lampstand. It's that simple. Verse seven. <clears throat> Actually, uh, before I move on, the Nicolaitans, uh, this is an interesting thing. Nobody fully knows exactly what this means, what the Nicolaitans, <clears throat> what John means by this, what Jesus means by this. The Greek word Nicolaitans really literally means destroyer of men. Um, there's a few different theories uh, some people believe that you know there's there's um, there's there's a clergy and laity divide. Laity meaning men are just common people, and clergy would be the the pastors, leaders in the church. <clears throat> some people have postulated and said, well, this is people that um, you know believe that uh, the 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 laity is different and not as holy as as the priesthood or the the people in charge of the church. <clears throat> Maybe that's a possibility that doesn't seem to bear witness with the context here. There was a group of people within the context of this church that is a theological difference here, something they were teaching theologically that the people of Ephesus, um, they did not put up with. And Jesus is, is like this theology, whatever this was, He's like, I hate this too, and you've stood up against this. So, like, you've got that going in your favor here. Very interesting thing. <clears throat> Again, nobody knows for sure exactly what the Nicolaitans were teaching or what the, the full context of this was. But being on the side of Jesus, uh, not a bad place to be. Verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. <clears throat> now this is huge. Right? So and this is where we see where this this format is going. Jesus says to each church, to whoever has ears, um, if you're victorious, meaning if you overcome, if if you make it out of this life without without turning away from the Lord, you stay faithful to Jesus in the context of the church of Ephesus staying faithful, in the context of persecution staying faithful, in the context of the universal church throughout history, you stay faithful. Here's the thing that I'm going to give you. And we know that this is a universal promise because this universal promise is not just to the the Ephesians, but it's to everyone. Everyone gets to do this. We're going to see this by the end of the book. If you're victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Now, remember, we're going to see this at the end of the book of Revelation. We're, we're, we're being alluded to it here. <clears throat> the tree of life. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. One was the tree of life, and one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We mostly think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? The, all the depictions of Adam and Eve taking the apple and eating the thing and getting kicked out of the garden. Um, 
I happen to believe that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was an avocado tree because, I mean, an apple, it's good. Yeah, right. But, but uh, I mean, anything that takes as good as an avocado and comes from a tree, that's got to be, uh, that's got to be the first sin, right? That's, that's got to be sinful. That's a joke. Okay. Um, nobody knows what those trees were. Nobody knows what the fruit was. But they were commanded not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they had to eat of the tree of life. And when God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, the primary reason, because his spirit, he didn't stop engaging with Adam and Eve after they left the garden. But what was in the garden that God kicked them out from was the tree of life. He said they have to be removed from the Garden of Eden so they can no longer eat of the tree of life. Otherwise, they'll live forever. And so it's actually eating this tree of life that gives us eternal life. Now, you know, we'll have physical bodies in eternity and we'll need to eat from the the tree of life. And that's the thing that gives us eternal life. I don't understand how that works. That's just how the Lord set it up. And so we don't have eternal life now because we don't eat of that tree. Adam and Eve did until they get kicked out and then they died. So this is a universal thing. Every single person who names the name of God is in eternity with him who has pledged allegiance, followed him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are the people that would eat of the tree of life and live forever in the presence of God. That's what this promise is to Ephesus, and it's the promise to us as well, if we heed the warnings and heed the messages to the Ephesians. All right, let's continue on. Verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Jesus is describing himself differently here, right? I'm, I'm the one, like I rose from the dead and I'm the first and the last, right? I am, I am God, but I'm also man, right? He's presenting himself here in that way. Verse nine, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I'm going to pause right there. Many people have used this passage as an anti-Semitic trope and things like that. That's that's not what's going on here. Um, <clears throat> this is another one of those things we don't really understand. We don't know the context of this. And I don't like taking these things. A lot of people, they view Revelation as, as entirely figurative. And, and, you know, from the outset... Um, I view the parts of Revelation as figurative that present themselves as figurative and the parts as literal that presents themselves as literal. And here we're talking about some specific group of people here in the church of Smyrna. And, and you've got people that are saying, well, I'm, I'm Jewish and they're actually not Jewish. And he's calling them a synagogue of Satan. It's like Gentiles who are masquerading as Jews Um. I suppose he could be talking about Jews that aren't living like Jews. Maybe they're living, and this is something we see in the epistles of Paul that comes up as this this Jewish-Gentile divide and how people are living and what they're requiring people to do. It could be something like that. The 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 nomenclature here, this the synagogue of Satan, this is really the only place in Scripture, the book of Revelation, where we see something like this. And so it's not entirely clear who these people were or what's going on. But again, the context is important. Like you've got people masquerading as something and they're not, and they're, they're trying to, to put on people something they shouldn't. And, and Jesus is commending them. Um, 
because these guys are slandering the actual believers in the Church of Smyrna. And by the way, Church of Smyrna, Smyrna is the one of the two churches that has that Jesus has nothing negative to say to them. So let's continue on verse ten. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer per- persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now, this is an interesting passage here because this is going to be something that's going to be um, very specific to this church at this particular time. He's he's being very specific. Um, You're going to suffer persecution for 10 days. Satan himself is trying to put you in prison and test you. And you're going to actually suffer persecution for 10 days. So this is a a literal message, a literal prophetic word to the church in Smyrna, to these actual believers, not necessarily to us. But this is also one of those things where it's um, throughout Christian history, there's been plenty of people that have faced persecution. And the message here is the same. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I'll give you life as the victor's crown, right? We as believers, we have to see ourselves outside of of the the four walls, if you will, of the building of this flesh, the the body that we're in. We're more than that. We're so much more than that. And and so hanging on to life above everything else is not our place as believers, Um we have to understand ourselves in the context of eternity. And so that means that that we see our primary life, our primary existence outside of this life in the here and now. Now, lots of people have said, well, you know, that's not a good way to live. You need to live for the here and now and because we don't understand eternity and people are so heavenly minded, they're no, of no earthly good. And, and if you've been following me for any period of time on the podcast here, you know that that's just, there's nothing further from the truth. Um, you, you're of no earthly good if you're not heavenly minded is really how this works. And so living our life now in view of eternity, that, that's how we have to exist. We have to exist that way. And so if we face persecution, we need to understand that that we can go to prison, we can go to death with a clean conscience, standing before the Lord, knowing that we're being persecuted for those kinds of things. And, and we're going to have an eternity to inherit. I mean, that an eternity, that's a long time. That's a really long time. It's actually, by definition, an unfathomable amount of time. And, and so what we inherit from our activities and our actions in this short period of time, it's, it's immeasurable. And so we hang on. We, we are faithful to death. Verse 11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious will not be heard at all by the second death. One of the things that's consistent through these, these first two chapters is really kind of John's um, he's baking it in here that he's expecting you to read Revelation multiple times because he's already presenting things here like the second death, things that we don't understand what they mean unless we've already read the book of Revelation once. We're going to find out later what the second death is, 
right? The first death is the physical death that we have. The second death is being thrown into the lake of fire where you're, there's actual punishment and separation from God for all eternity. That's what is clearly defined later in the book of Revelation as the second death. <clears throat> but here we're being presented it like we already know what it's talking about. And this is a great place to, to recommend and remind you, read the book of Revelation once a week for the 10 weeks that we're going through this. It's really powerful. And this is actually, it's obvious from things like this. This is how John intends you to do it, is to read it over and over and get it in you so that you understand what's going on. So again, this is the second death. Well, what does that mean? Well, keep reading the book of Revelation and you're going to find out. It's, it's very well defined later in the book of Revelation. Again, it's the lake of fire. It's being thrown into the, the eternal punishment and separation from God. And he's saying, if you're victorious, not just to Smyrna, but to everyone, every believer that names the name of Jesus, if you're victorious, if you stay faithful to me without turning away, uh, you will not be hurt by the second death. You will not experience essentially life in what we would call hell. That's what we're talking about here. That brings us to the end of today's passage for the 10-week Bible study. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Well, thanks for joining me today on our study. Would you like and subscribe to wherever you're watching this? It really helps more people find out about our broadcast, and my heart is for more people to fall in love with God and His Word. 